Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Welcome back to the Dear Prudence Show once again, and as always, but not really, I am your host, Dear Prudence, also known as Mallory Ortberg. We're on holiday this week, so this week we're revisiting some of our favorite letters from 2017. I'm not really here. I'm a ghost. You only think that you're listening to me. This has been pre-recorded weeks in advance. I am so out of here. I'm somewhere else doing stuff that isn't work. Uh, I hope that maybe you get to do some stuff that isn't work soon as well. Uh, and I wish you all the best. Please enjoy some of the highlights from the last year without me. The subject line of this one is just personal ATM. So... You know where this one's heading. Mm -hmm. uh, Dear Prudence, I've known my best friend for 25 years. We're both nurses, and we've both been there for each other in every important moment in one another's lives. My husband and I are financially secure. My friend and her husband are not, and I'm tired of lending her money. Her husband refuses to work and has done so for the last 10 years, even though he has no health problems, and she supports him and their child. They live beyond their means, they eat out at fancy restaurants, and they take frequent vacations. They never save money and were recently evicted from their apartment and had to move out of state. I've given her thousands of dollars in the past, but I make a lot less money than she does, and my husband is getting tired of my pulling money out of our joint account. I don't splurge on much for myself, but I always try to keep a cushion in my savings account. Yesterday, my friend told me that her car had just been repossessed and she wants help getting another one. She's never made any attempt to pay me back for any of the money I've given her, and I'm starting to dread taking her calls because it's usually about her latest financial crisis. Her husband shows no remorse or embarrassment about quote-unquote borrowing money from everyone they know. I would not hesitate to help them again, but her husband seems content living this way. She has very little family, and the ones who are still alive do not speak to her. I don't understand how anyone could live this way without feeling some sort of obligation to reimburse those who have helped them, even if it was just $20 a month. Please help me understand this way of thinking and how to proceed in the future. I don't ever see this ending. Do you ever see this ending? Yeah, end it. Yeah, For this could end. Sake. This could end right the hell now, ma'am. Yeah. Or sir. No, but again, you know, you're right. The, the, the situation as it's presented here is super clear cut. But then the question is... Can you help me to understand this other person? No. No. Why would you bother understanding it? Yeah. Don't. Don't worry about it. The, que it's the question not your is problem. to understand why you have continued to exist in this relationship. You know, the sentence, I would not hesitate to help them again, bowled me over. Like, yeah. if it weren't for the fact that her husband. Who's seems... working too. No, he's not working. The letter writer's husband is working. Yes. The friend's husband is not. Sorry, that was what I thought I was saying. No, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like, the problem's the husband. If the husband would get a job, I'd lend them money for the rest of my life, which is, you know, in accordance with the theme of today's uh, show, which is raise the bar. Uh, raise the bar a little higher for, for the circumstances under which you would uh, lend or give someone else money. Mm -hmm. um, because if it's just forever, for any reason... You may not be as helpful as you would like to be. Go to a fan take yourself to a fancy restaurant. Yeah, I mean, your husband is mad at you for pulling money out of your joint account. I would be too. To the tune of thousands and thousands of dollars over the last couple of decades. 
I'd be mad as hell if I were your husband. Yeah. I'm amazed that your husband still has a joint account with you. If if your husband is listening, husband, uh, start your own savings account that your spouse does not have access to. Um, because right now they are not in a place where they are respecting your joint income. That's some of your money yeah. uh, that is going to fund this other couple um, in a way that's not helpful. It's not useful to them. They're not getting any benefit out of it. It's not helping them break any cycle. They're not in any sort of circumstance where, uh, you know, through uh, no fault of their own, they are like the victims of circumstance. They're just they really love going to I don't know. I'm mad at them. So in my mind, they love going to like Outback Steakhouse. Mm. God. Well, okay. So the basic premise here is you don't have to lend this person any more money. You really, really, really do not. Yeah. Um, but the questions, I think, come after that moment or after that acknowledgement. Uh, questions like, what have you been getting out of this relationship? Um, why has this person been able to extract so many thousands of dollars from you and your husband over so many years? Um, how are you going to live without whatever feeling of satisfaction or placated guilt uh, that has given you? Those those are big questions. Yeah. And the situation that, that is being described here is, is also pretty serious because um, it's it's it must be very, very frustrating for you. And there's a kind of in for a penny, in for a pound logic or a kind of logic of infinite escalation where to cut the friend off now would seem to be like sinking costs or cutting one's losses. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can imagine that that's very painful and, 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 and it, it's a difficult thought to contemplate. But I do think that there is there is a way forward from this moment for you and for your husband uh, and, and I think part of that has to acknowledge the, the possibility. I, I certainly can't say certainty, but um, the possibility that this friend has been directly manipulating you both, manipulating you specifically. Um, it certainly seems possible that they they are acting with malicious rather than merely complacent intent. Yeah, I think one one view of events that you will have to at least contemplate, and it will be very sad, um, is that this friend does not care about you. Yeah. Um, and that they see... Being there for you as an investment in a cash cow. Right. Um, And I'm not saying that that's 100% what's going on. It could be that they genuinely care about you, but are also willing to, um, you know, let the situation go on forever without checking to see if you're okay with it. Like, it's not necessarily true that they don't care about you, but that is one possibility. It is. um, Is that they see you as a bank account as nothing and nothing else. And part of why I think this is so hard is you guys, it doesn't sound like you've ever really had a long-term big picture conversation. Um, of what does it feel like when I lend you money? What does it feel like when you borrow money? Um, do we understand this as a loan or a gift? Um, do you have any thoughts about how things will be different in the future? What will happen if you never pay me back? What would our, what would our friendship look like if this constant exchange of money wasn't going on? Like a lot of these are really big questions, and I don't want to make it sound like any friendship where somebody borrows money, even on a regular basis, is necessarily one where a person is being taken advantage of. Because I don't believe that that's true. But in this instance, it sounds like this is a relationship where you have resented your friend's husband for not working, but you haven't brought that up. You haven't talked about. Um, you know, what you're giving them money to do. And I think part of what's terrifying is not the idea just of stop giving, stopping giving them money, but talking about what you've been doing for the last decade or more. And and something that you've been doing, like you're not just about to cut your friend off, you're about to cut yourself off. Because whatever you've been getting out of this relationship, you've spent thousands of dollars on it. 
Uh-huh. You've been buying thousands of dollars worth of something from your friend. And I don't know if that's a feeling of superiority, of of like a, a sense of I am a together, helpful, useful, good person. Uh, I, I don't know what it is, but you've been, you know, she's been your supplier of whatever that feeling is for mm-hmm. a long time. And you're about to stop buying. And that's going to be hard for you. And I think you should prepare for that. Yeah. And I think having a, I, I think there are two really important conversations that need to take place. One of them is with your friend, where you begin to explore some of these questions. And the other is with your husband. Mm. Uh, because it seems to me that that relationship is also going to need some repair as a result of this set of experiences. Right. Um, and trying to work out, you know, how, how have you been relating to your husband uh, 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 during this time where you, you've been using your, your, your joint bank account for this purpose? Um, what does it mean about the shared expectations that you have of that relationship? the shared sense of that relationship. And I think I think the marriage has a real chance to grow at this point, has a real chance to strengthen, but it is going to be a difficult conversation. Yeah. Yeah, I agree and I think that that should be your priority right now is repairing mm-hmm. your relationship with your husband and in terms of like practicalities, what happens next? How do you proceed in the future? You tell your friend, I'm not going to lend you any more money. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. You don't have to have a good reason. Um, you don't have to convince her it's the right thing to do. Um, you don't have to explain yourself. You just get to say, I'm not going to lend you any more money. Yeah. Um, and then you get to stick to that. Um, and your friend may respond in any one of many ways. Your friend might uh, acknowledge all you've done for them. They might get angry. They might plead or have an emotional breakdown. Um, they might respond in any one of a hundred different ways. And um, you get to remember that you know, your friend and her husband are both adults with resources, with with at least some employment, um, with the ability to um, change their behavior, with the ability to, you know, live more within their means um, and that you cannot do that for them. So yeah. you get to say, I'm not going to lend you any more money. And that's going to be really hard. And you're going to feel like if your friend tries to fight with you about it, that you're going to have to convince her. And if you can't, you have to give her more money. Nope. You you guys don't have to agree on it. You can just say, I'm not going to give you any more money. And if your friend's response is to storm at you or to cut you off, then you'll have a pretty good answer to that question of, does my friend see me as a person who is also sometimes giving her money or does my friend see me as money? Mm-hmm. Um, and And I have a feeling based on the fact that they've never even tried to throw 20 bucks your way. Or it sound like thank you. It, it it's likely to be the sadder one. Yeah, yeah. So you don't have to understand this way of thinking. Um, stop trying to understand this way of thinking, um, dude. Also, on one level, it's a very straightforward way of thinking to understand. Free money. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, free it's... money, and they don't care about you. Yeah, is how they're thinking about it. Yeah, they don't care about you the way that you care about them, and that sucks. And of course, you keep thinking, but I wouldn't do that. That's why you don't do that. Yeah, right. Like, there's a reason you wouldn't do that. Um, even if you were in a situation where you needed to borrow money from a friend, you would do it differently than the way that they did, mm-hmm. um, because you care about people differently, and I think also better than they do, and that's really sad. Um, but this is a friendship where I think once you once you stop handing out free money, you will be surprised by how much you two, um, by how much your friend no longer is there for you in every important moment in your life. And I'm really sorry. That sucks. It sucks. Subject line of this last letter is just... <laughs> 
move home. Dear Prudence, I am a single working mother of four. My oldest two children are grown, going to school, and working full-time. I'm very proud of them, but not of their taste in friends. Every other month, I get a call or a text from my kids begging me to loan them an extra $100 here or there because they are short on rent due to their roommates or girlfriend. My daughter can't, and my son tries to, but I tell them both to save their money. It may not seem like a lot, but it is the difference between eating rice and beans for another week or two for me. I want them both to move home and save their money. They don't want to. I am particularly tired of my son's girlfriend, Victoria. She is a spoiled little brat. Her parents pay for everything but her rent, and she can't even pull that up half the time. She owes my son over $1,000. I finally asked her if she planned on ever being an actual adult and paying him back. She got offended, and I asked her if I needed to contact her parents. My son told me I was out of line. I apologized, but I am tired of this all. I don't want to push my kids away, but I am tired of being their piggy bank. How do I get them home? God, that last bit's amazing because the last question is not, how do I stop being their piggy bank? It's, how do I get them to move home? Mm -hmm. So I can be even more of their piggy bank. Like, what? Yeah. Uh, I mean, there are three different things going on here. Hit me with them. There's a mother who is, um, we have a helicopter parent and we have a, a mother who hates her son's girlfriend. And then... We have a mother who legitimately cannot afford to support her children now that they've left the home. You know, I think that the financial aspect is the easiest. Stop eating rice and beans just so you can send your children extra money. Let them eat rice and beans. Exactly. If they want to be adult enough to sign a lease for an apartment of their own and they can't make the rent, there are consequences to that. Period. And those consequences are not your responsibility. You are raising four children as a single mother. This is simply not feasible for you. And quite frankly, they should know better than to ask you for money oh, they that do you know do better. not have. And you should not sacrifice yourself. That's the thing is they yeah, know. she's going to have to hold the line. Yeah, because they know right now if they ask you for that hundred bucks, they know and they it. don't care. Yeah. Well, I think they know in the way that children, I think they know in the way that children often like fake know things. Mm. Like they, you know, I think children always assume that there's some sort of magical piggy bank that parents go to to support them. Um, and I think that she needs to make clear to the children that there is no magical piggy bank. In terms of wanting them to move home, I, I, I don't think you want them to move home for your financial interest. I think you just want to move them home so you can make more decisions about who they spend time Circle with. Circle gets a square. And I, that's a personal issue. Yeah. I think that's, you have to really ask yourself why you're still so invested in what your adult children are doing um, such that you would want them to move back home. Yep. Uh, if therapy is something within your means I would really recommend some counseling here to talk through whatever's going on that you need to have your children to fill that gap. Um, but in terms of the money, you have to draw the hard line. And in terms of your son's girlfriend, my goodness, yes, you crossed the line. It's none of your business. If she owes him a thousand dollars, it's his problem, not yours. And don't let it become your problem. Right. Again, you have to hold the line. If he wants that money back, he'll ask for it. But it doesn't seem like he does. Yeah. Well, and it's another case, I think, the sort of theme this week is I'm not allowing myself to be mad at the person I'm really mad at. So I have to be mad at some third party. Mm -hmm. um, like, you're not asking your son back for all the money he owes you. 
because you don't want to Mm -hmm. be mad at your son. You say, I'm proud of my kids, but not their taste in friends. Like, my friend, who do you think chose your kids' friends? Your kids. That is a choice that they have made (laughs) to spend time around those people you don't approve of. It doesn't make your kids monsters. It doesn't make them bad people. But like, I think you need to allow yourself to say, sometimes I disagree with my kids' choices. Sometimes they make decisions I would not have made and I don't like it and I wish I could change it and I can't. And it sounds like, you know, if you're in like rice and beans territory, you're not necessarily going to be able to be able to afford like a one-on-one therapist tomorrow. But if you can even like find like online support groups for like empty nesters for people whose kids are growing up and leaving home and are having trouble like figuring out how to parent from a distance, from a remove as an adult um, to another adult, I would really encourage you to seek that out. Cause like, let me just reword a couple of your sentences for you. Um, you're not proud of some of the choices your kids have made when it comes to their friends. Um, you know, you tell your son to save his money and he doesn't. Um, your son chooses to date someone who doesn't pay her share of the rent. Um, and then instead of either, you know, holding that line or looking for another roommate, he asks you for money. Um, you know, does your son ever plan on being an actual adult and paying you back? Like, like there's so much that you want to blame on Victoria that's actually coming from your son. Um, and yeah, you were way out of line mm-hmm. demanding that she would pay your son back. He's not like four years old getting pushed around on the playground. Um, he has to fight his own battles. And if he chooses not to fight a battle that you would fight, you don't get to come charging in and say, don't worry, I'll fight it for you. Um, you're not going to get any points for that. No one's ever going to thank you for it. It's not going to work. So, you know, you say you don't want to push your kids away, but they should be continuing to grow up and away from you. That doesn't mean they should turn into total strangers, but it should mean that they should not be coming to you every other month for cash. Um, so if you're tired of being your kid's piggy bank, next time your kids come to you asking for money, you get to lovingly say no. And if they complain, if they mm-hmm. get mad because you used to do it, you just get to say, I love you. I encourage you to to find like other ways of, of making your rent best of luck. Um, that's not cruel. That's not being a bad parent. That's like what happens, uh, when you, when you are an adult. Um, and if they choose not to move back home, which I think they probably won't, I think they will find another way to get that extra hundred bucks. Um, then you get to say, that's good. I did a good thing. It's good that my kids are are becoming more resourceful and figuring out how to solve their own problems. Um, and if your kids date people you don't like, you know, you get to privately thank your own personal higher power every evening that you don't have to date that person and then be friendly to them when you see them at dinner periodically. Absolutely. And maybe also, I don't know, I always find that if you're empty nesting and you find yourself still overly involved in your children's lives, it might be a good opportunity to get a life of your own. And I don't mean that in a mean way. I mean, maybe find a new circle of friends or a new group of people that you can do an activity with or even dating, just something to occupy yourself emotionally so that you don't have to preoccupy yourself with your adult children. Right. Yep. And just bear in mind that right now you are not asking the right question. You say you're tired of being their piggy bank and you want to know how to get your kids home. Wrong question. Don't try to get them home. That is the wrong impulse. Um, That's a desire to continue making their choices for them and to control them. You got to let that one go. Um, The question you should be asking is, how do I live my life in such a way that I don't feel an overwhelming need 
to be my children's piggy bank and to fix their problems for them? What do I need to do in my own life? What support do I need to enlist to make sure that I can say no and stick to my no when I say it? And you can. I have so much faith in you. I I bet you have been a fantastic parent. um, And it's just hard for you to turn off the part of your brain that sees your kids as five years old. Um, So I I think it's just going to require like a constant reimagining of how old and responsible your kids actually are. Um, and to remember that they are not going to starve to death on the streets if you don't bail them out every other month. I promise you they have options, including moving in with you if it comes to that, right? Like, you know that you would offer them a place to stay if they genuinely got kicked out tomorrow and none of their friends would let them crash or move in with them. Like, they're going to be okay. They are not in any danger. No, they're not. They know. And if they wanted to move home, they would. They know that's available to them. They do. So trust in that as well. Yep. Dang it, Roxanne. I was going to fight with you about this one, uh, but then I could not bring myself to. We can fight about something else, Mallory. Anytime. Anytime. Name the day and the topic and I will do my best. This question, Mike, has like, I, I had to like sit down. I am so confused by this. And I feel like there's one of two possible answers, and they're both super different. So I'm going to go ahead and read this letter, and we're going to figure out which scenario I think is really going on. Sure. Dear Prudence, my son is married to his second wife, Loretta, whom I adore. They've been together for four years and married for two. Loretta and I have a great relationship. We've never had a single conflict. She loves my son, treats him with respect, and has a great head on her shoulders. If I could have gone to the daughter-in-law store and picked out their best model, I would have picked her. The problem I have is with my son. He's 31, he has a successful career, and he's going to grad school. He's an all-around great guy. However, he has some pretty odd viewpoints about certain things, one of which has caused a lot of conflict between him and me. Since the very beginning of their relationship, if I want to ask Loretta about what she might want for her birthday or Christmas, or plan a get-together either with just her or with her and my son, or just call her to talk, my son says that I have to go through him and should not contact her directly. He discourages all direct communication from me to her. Loretta has never indicated in any way that she doesn't want me to get in touch with her. Over the past four years, we've spent some very pleasant times together, just the two of us. Loretta and my son have a very happy and healthy relationship, and he is not abusive. He doesn't place this requirement on any other person in their circle of family and friends, just me. When I observe the two of them together, they treat each other as equals. He's not overbearing, and she isn't quiet and submissive. He also never had this requirement in place when he was married to his first wife. Loretta is very busy with a full-time job and their daughter, and I don't want to spend endless hours on the phone chit-chatting with her and taking up lots of her time. I'd just like to feel free to call her to ask what she wants for her birthday, or to schedule the occasional group dinner. His reason for this rule is that it's quote-unquote not normal for a mother-in-law to communicate directly with her daughter-in-law. From my own personal experience with my mother-in-law when I was married to his father, this is definitely normal. The most recent occurrence of this non-communication rule came when he was out of the country and I learned that I needed to have minor surgery. I asked Loretta to see if she'd be able to drive me to the hospital and she said she'd be happy to. She didn't sound annoyed or fake nice. She really did say she she would be happy to do this for me. Now, when my son came back, he told me that he would be taking me instead and that Loretta had commitments that day and that I shouldn't have gotten in touch with her at all. I'm confused and frustrated. 
I very much want to talk to Loretta about this and find out how she feels, but I'm really worried about adding fuel to the fire with my son because I know she would tell him that I called her to discuss this and he would unleash his anger on me. I also don't want to put her in an awkward position. I don't even know if she knows about his rule. And whether she did or didn't, my son would be angry with me for discussing it with her. I've tried everything I know to convince my son that he's being unreasonable and hurtful, that it's not weird for a mother-in-law to call her daughter-in-law, and that there's no need for such an outlandish boundary. I'm kind to my daughter-in-law. I love her. And I want to be able to call her up and talk to her, just like any other normal mother-in-law. Signed, Sad Mom. <sighs> By the way, this was originally a lot longer. Wow. Um, I, I, I had to cut down a lot of it. And, like, this has clearly been going on for a long time. And it's just really weird. You're you're in a long-term relationship, right? I don't remember if you're married or not, but, like, you've got kind of an in-law situation. Uh that is, I am in a relationship that's been about a year now. I've had some, I have been married, so I have had in-laws. I understand. Okay. And I guess the first thing that jumps out to me that even if it is weird, it's not bad. Like everything that's weird isn't bad. And it would be fine if everybody was fine with it for any, any two people who want to talk to each other can talk to each other. So that part additionally combined with this thing makes it stranger to me that it was fine in the first marriage, that it happened and wasn't forbidden and wasn't seen as not normal. So I don't know. I mean, is it possible that the that L- Loretta, the woman, uh, the wife in this situation, is uh, has some problem that she's not sharing and she doesn't want to talk directly and she is just a really good liar or fa- like there's so much that we don't know. Yeah, no, that was my, I mean, that was my first thought, too. And I was trying to, like, like look through this letter to look for signs that somehow the, the mother-in-law has been doing something really out there. Because um, my she, first thought was, oh, Loretta just asked her your your son to do this, and he's, like, being the bad guy on her behalf, and she's just, like, a super good actor. And she is 100%. This is all coming from her. You only think you guys get along great. That's why you've never had a conflict, because she outsources all of her conflict to your son. But I've I've read and listened to you for a while, and every once in a while there's a letter from somebody who thinks they're the hero, but are definitely the villain of the story. But they, yeah, they lack I don't get that the, vibe from this. She does not lack the self awareness. She seems com- like it seems like she's doing. She, everybody's doing a great job at seeming reasonable, but except for the son. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What's why is he? Why is he being mean about it? Right. That, that's what. I, that's what's been. I've kind of been going back and forth over this too. I've been having the same problem. Like the letter, it's it's long and it's definitely full of feeling, but it does not feel like she has unreasonable expectations. No. It doesn't sound like she's been asking really outrageous things. Like there's nothing in this letter that suggests to me, oh, I can kind of see why your kid actually might want to set some boundaries and avoids having hard conversations with you because you sound like you overreact to stuff. Like that doesn't seem to be the case here. So like either. Loretta is, for whatever reason, uh, really conflict avoidant, really doesn't like you, and has asked your son to sort of be this stand-in guard dog on her behalf, or your son's being, like, really out of line, and I don't know why, because you sound pretty nice. And I'm just like, I feel like I'm missing something here. It re- like my I guess the idea the advice that I have is like when letter writer you say should I talk to Loretta but my son might be mad I've tried talking to my son like I feel like I'm sure that you have if you are the reasonable person that you present as that seems to understand and want reasonable things from your life and family and the people who care about the people that you care about and who you care about 
then, I mean, I guess I would say I would recommend trying to talk to your son about how, like, it doesn't make sense that even if it isn't, even if it is weird, which it isn't, it wouldn't be bad if it was weird, which it isn't, as evidenced by your last marriage where why I would that's a specific concrete piece of advice I can say is say to your son why was this not a rule in your last marriage and see what he says to that if he has some reason that uh you can't that you can't think of that I can't think of that Mallory can't that I mean it doesn't make any sense yeah but that seems fair to say like hey like kind of one last ditch effort to talk about it with him before having the possibility of talking to Loretta which I don't necessarily want to advise you to do because I want to at least explore the possibility of what would it look like if you just accepted that this is a weird rule your son has. Um, But we'll we'll, we'll put a pin in that for a second. So, yeah, one last talk with your son and just say, like, I'm not looking to become Loretta's best friend. I'm not looking to call her five hours a day. Um, I am confused because in your last marriage, I would periodically have – I assume, like normal contact with your wife and it worked out fine. Um, did I do something to your wife? Was there something I did that she didn't like that you didn't feel like you could tell me that that makes you feel like it's necessary to put this rule in place? Because I don't understand. Um, this has not historically been how I've interacted with uh, your previous partners. So I don't understand why you think it's not normal for a mother-in-law and daughter-in-law to talk like that's not my experience with my own mother-in-law. That wasn't my experience with your last wife. Um, can you explain why you all of a sudden feel this need? And can I, I have another idea that, yeah. I mean, my normal advice in a situation where you're like, you can't, con- it seems like you can't control this. And so if you never get the answer that you want, then you right. have to be the one to just be like, well, this is how it is. I don't want to worry about it forever because I'll never know. So I have to, you know, come to terms with it. But this is your son. This is your family. This will be. Uh, hopefully for a while, <laughs> the people that you know and care about and want to connect to. my The only other hope that I have is, she says she's the only person this rule applies to. Is there somebody else in your family that you're close to that mm-hmm. might have any clue? Like, because it can't be, I mean, do, do you talk to other people? Are you close with, you know, your extended or non-extended family? I don't know who else there is who is allowed to talk directly to your son's wife, but I, I don't and I don't usually want to advocate being like like it sounds like sort of second grade to be like, you know, check this box. If like, does this person like me? Why doesn't this person like me? But right. that at some point might be the only recourse that I think only in this situation seems maybe reasonable to be like, do you or even not to like ask them to go ask the person. But do you know why this might be have right. am I a certain way with anybody that would make it reasonable to have this apply to me and me alone like am i am i unreasonable how am i unreasonable no and i think that's fair i think that's a good point mike cuz it's not just that you're trying to like dig up dirt on your kid or trying to like triangulate your relationship with him you're kind of doing the emotional equivalent of like hey do i have anything in my teeth yeah. um like before you decide whether or not this is worth escalating conflict you want to double check to make sure like Am I seeing my own behavior as objectively as possible? Like, I think I am, but I want to do a double check before I run the risk of inciting a conflict between my son and me or my son and his wife. Um, So to ask somebody else in the family that you care for and trust and to say, I'm really looking hard in my own past. Um, I want to be open to feedback and criticism. And and if you don't know, you don't know. uh, But like, can you think of any reason why my son might feel that this is necessary? 
Um, and to be open to if you hear something that feels really surprising or jarring to kind of sit with it, think through it, ask yourself if there could be any truth to it. Um, yeah, there could let's be. Let's say you yeah. try that. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. As there could be something like that. People want to people love you. People care about you. They're in your family. They want what's best for you. They if there is something that they aren't telling you, they're doing it out of love because they care about you. But they are letting you walk around with this emotional, you know, stain on your teeth, this something mm-hmm. that is there that is affecting you. It And if they could understand if you can let them know for sure that hopefully you're open to fe- hearing whatever they say, that that will, the truth will be the best thing for everybody in this situation. Because right now, none of us have it. Yeah. So let's let's put that aside for a minute and say, okay, let's say no one has a good answer for you. No one's like, oh, yes, you did this really bananas thing that was awful um, or or whatever. And, and you need to figure out, okay, can I, can I see my way through to saying it's a weird rule. I don't get it. I don't like it. Um, but since I don't see any sort of signs of abuse, I I don't have any cause to be concerned about the healthiness of their marriage. Um, and I might be willing to adhere to this kind of weird rule, um, that my son has put in place. Um, if it means, you know, that's the way that their marriage is set up for whatever reason, I don't have to understand it. I still get to see them. It's not like he's keeping her from me. Um, I still get to have positive interactions with them. Um, and this is something that I don't have to like, but I can respect. And I think that's possible. I think you could do that. That's a low conflict route. Um, but I think sometimes people have rules that we don't necessarily like or understand, but we can accept. That's one possibility. The sure. other one is you can talk to Loretta. You run the risk on a couple of fronts, right? Like one is she has been asking your son to do this. She will not give you a straight answer. You will not learn anything and you'll just kind of both feel weird around each other. Like that's a possibility. You'll say, Loretta, I feel uncomfortable bringing this up. I'm not quite sure what to do. Um, I understand if you don't want to discuss this, but I, I did want to ask, you know, my son has told me repeatedly not to contact you. I feel like you and I have a good relationship. I would like to be able to occasionally call you up and chat, find out what you want to do for your birthday. Is that okay with you? Um, but to bear in mind that it may not be and you might not get a straight answer. Um, but I don't think that's an outrageous thing to say to her. Like, yes, probably you will put her in a slightly uncomfortable converse- situation. It probably will feel a little weird. You you might hear her be really surprised. Like she might be like, I had no idea that he said that and I'm confused. And, and that might be one possibility. But I, I think you could do that. Yep, that- uh, you just really run the risk of of getting not a straight answer. And then I think you would have to let it go. It is. You, you definitely, if you've presented everything faithfully, you have a real stumper of a problem. Yeah. But yeah, so like, let's say you have that conversation and you get everything you wanted out of it. She says, I didn't know he had that rule. I genuinely like you. I'm not sure what he's doing. Please do feel free to occasionally call me. Um, and then I think the best thing you can do is just say to your son, um, Loretta and I don't need this rule. We're comfortable calling one another. I'm not going to try to call her to talk about you or to, like, get the dirt on you. I'm not trying to, like, get in between you and your wife and your marriage. But if I want to know what she wants for Christmas, I'm going to text her. Um, And I hope that's okay. 
Um, that's not an unreasonable thing to want. So that's like the probable best case high conflict scenario, right? <laughs> is like Loretta gives you the green light. You guys are comfortable. You get to sort of gently say to your son, I'm not trying to manage your marriage or get in the middle of it. I just want to sometimes call her and I'm going to do that. And if your son totally blows up, then you and Loretta can sort of be like, that's weird. Why do you think he's doing that? And then you get to be the sort of sane, reasonable one, which is always a nice place to be. Um, or, like you know, yeah. you talk to her and she's like kind of weird, kind of evasive. Um, your son gets mad at you and then, you know, you kind of get your wrist slapped for kind of getting in the middle of their marriage. And um, I think at that point you would just have to apologize and retreat. Um, and that's a bummer. But um, sometimes that's just how it is. Like we don't always get to understand the inside of other people's marriages, even if we want to. Um, and I think if that happened, you would need to back off. Um, but please write back. Like, like, let us know if you do talk to Loretta what she says, if she seems clear on it, if you learn something new about something that's gone down between you guys that you didn't realize before or or what's going on or 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 maybe he is abusive and just really good at hiding it or I mean, I don't think that's super likely given how they interact and the fact that this rule doesn't exist for anyone else, but it's it's a possibility. Uh, I still have so many questions. I don't feel great about any answer. Please let us know everything. Yeah, please. And please Loretta? call us back. Loretta, call us. If you think this is you, if someone's reading this and they're like, huh, this, this is weird. <laughs> this might be me. Uh, please call us. Go ahead and go ahead and read this last one, please. Subject, coaching staff with annoying personalities. How do I deal with an employee who does good work, has no performance issues, but annoys the crap out of everyone? Mary comments on everything repeatedly, e.g. if it's hot, she'll say, it's hot out there. Don't you think it's hot out there? I think it's hot. Oh, boy, but a ton of people are sweating today. And then every time a new person enters the building, she'll repeat it to them. Often this will be followed by a lot of repetitive comments about the weather, what it'll be like the next day, that weekend, next week. If someone leaves a pen on the counter rather than putting it back in a pen cup, she'll walk around to every staff person and say, is this your pen? This pen was on the counter just looking to see if anyone's lost their pen. She'll ask everyone individually, even if several people are nearby and would obviously pipe up if they, are in, if they had indeed lost their pen. I'm at a loss for how to coach an employee who, performance-wise, has no issues. Although she drives us crazy because we're around her all day, customers love her, and she is well-known in the community. She's an older person who lives alone, so I think she's just used to talking to herself a lot and doesn't notice when other staff members give signs that they're tiring of her conversation. She isn't talking about anything inappropriate, so I don't see how I can forbid the behavior without restricting all staff conversation, which isn't realistic or fair. It's a tiny facility, so there's no, quote, go work in another room option help. What do I do? I started out by basically telling everyone else to suck it up and be nice. But truthfully, Mary has gotten on my last nerve as well. Sometimes I can cut things short, like telling her, just put the damn pen away. But I'm at a loss on how to do this with her frequent observations about things like weather. Please tell me I have options other than be miserable until she retires or fire a beloved local granny for being too chatty. Oh, man. Uh, oh, I have a lot of sympathy for everyone in this letter. Everyone. <laughs> everyone. Who, who do you fear that you are? Like, who do you see yourself as in this letter in your life? Uh, the person getting annoyed. And then eventually, <laughs> possibly this this chatty older lady who lives alone and um, 
you know, is getting here's the thing. She's getting a lot of positive feedback for her personality. She's loved by the community. It sounds like people like being greeted by her. They don't know that she's talked about the weather with every single person. They just know, hey, here's this smiling face and this person who wants to talk about something and seems interested. And and then at the same time, though, I'd go insane. Yeah, I mean, I think sometimes there are people who are like that, who are fantastic with customers, and it's always kind of a shock to their coworkers because they're like, you drive me out of my mind, and I can't imagine how this somehow works. But somehow when you put them in front of a customer, it like just focuses them just enough that they seem like welcoming, expansive, exciting to be around, and not a, a frustration. Um So do you feel like there is an option for this letter writer beyond wait for her to retire or fire her? I do feel like there's anything in between. I I guess. Can can he figure out a way he or she can can this person, this supervisor, figure out a way to maybe just eliminate one of the annoyances? So talking about the weather makes sense. You're greeting people. Fine. But like maybe the pen situation can be dealt with. Yeah, I I have a. I think there's a couple different boundaries that are important to work with, one of which is just like human beings are free to be annoying, right, and to talk about the weather. Um, So in that sense, I think patience is a good idea. And to just think this is going to sound really pretentious, but I think about this so often. You know that Marcus Aurelius quote about like begin each day by telling yourself, you know the one I mean? Yeah. Uh, So I feel like I should also just say it for the readers. But so Marcus Aurelius writes this really great moment of begin each day by telling yourself today I shall be meeting with interference, ingratitude, insolence, disloyalty, ill will and selfishness, all of them due to the offender's ignorance of what is good or evil. Um, And it's great. I like first read it in Woodhouse and I loved it because I think then like Bertie Wooster's immediate response was, oh, did he say that? Well, then you can tell Marcus Aurelius he's a silly ass. Um, And I feel like both of those things are really true. But like, Yes. In addition to doing what I think you should do, you should also remember, like, that is a part of life. You are always going to have someone in the office who talks too much about the weather. Um, And that's not an accident. That's not a mistake. That's part of the, like, terrible joy of being in a society with other living beings um, is you're just going to run into people who drive you nuts, even though they're well-meaning and kind and get their work done. Um, And and to bear in mind, like the, the supervisor says, this woman gets her work done. Um, the, the, the like interruptions are irritating, but not at a point where like no one else can get their work done. So to, to keep it in its right place, right? Like it's, it's annoying. I think you can address it. I think you can give her useful feedback and, and try to move her in a different direction. Um, but this is not, um, this is not as bad as it feels, right? Cause it feels like you should rip your skin off, but it's not actually that bad. Oh, so that's one thing to bear in mind. Can you imagine how but awful? The other one, oh, sorry. I was going to say, like, can no, you no, imagine no. how awful that must feel on a daily basis where you're just looking at this woman who's like this sweet older lady and you want to murder her? Oh, and then you feel horribly guilty. Yeah. So then you try to like reach out to her because you're like, I'm such a bad person. She's not mean. She's not gossiping. She's not saying unkind things. I should try harder. And then she drives you crazy. And then you think, oh, my goodness, I'm such a bad person that even when she's being nice to me, I want to stab her in the face. And that makes you act with more repulsion. Totally. Um, And it just continues this cycle that Mary has no idea that this is going on. But inside, you're dying 100 deaths every day (laughs) just talking to her about pens. What's your what's your um, second yes. piece of advice? Because that was it for me. Just just yeah. suck it up. Maybe find a way to deal with the pen situation. So as the supervisor, I think, uh, you know, you should encourage your other employees that you previously said, just suck it up and just say, 
you know, listen, if if Mary is keeping you from your work, uh, talking about the weather, it is okay to kindly and politely say, I've got to get back to work now. Um, I think we should all feel free to say that more often. There's a lot of people who will write in and they will feel trapped by an, a coworker who who is very, very chatty. It is not rude to say, we'll have to talk more later. I've got to get back to work and then not necessarily get back to it later. Um, so update the suck it up announcement you gave to everyone else and let them know, like, if it's if it's interfering with what you're doing, please know that, like, you're not going to get in trouble. That's not rude. It's OK. Um, and then for you, supervisor. Uh, this is part of why I'm so glad I don't supervise anyone. I-, I think you do get to talk about this with her in the context of like a general performance review. Um, not that you necessarily have to wait till next quarter or whatever, but you can, you know, wait until you are talking about a project or something else that she's working on. Um, and then just say, you know, there's something I also want to address with you. Um, I want to keep it in its right place. This is like not anywhere near a 9 or a 10 on a 1 to 10 scale. Um, but I've noticed that sometimes um, you will, you know, initiate off-topic conversations that go on for a really long time. Um, and I want to make sure that there are times to take breaks and chat, um, but I also don't want that to be ongoing throughout the day. I want to make sure that everyone is able to get their work done. And I've noticed that sometimes um, you will repeti- repetitively ask people about the weather um, or, or, or ask a lot of questions of the same people in a row. Um, and I would love to see you um, check that behavior, rein it in. Um, doesn't mean you have to take a of silence every day when you come into the office, but it's something that I've noticed and it seems to be a bit of a distraction. Um, and I'd love to help you um, minimize that. Um, and I think that that's both kind and honest and, um, you know, that that's not like yelling at an old woman like, shut up, no one cares what you think. Um, and it's phrasing it, you know, framing it in the context of making sure everyone's getting their work done. Exactly. I mean, it's a small facility, so it can be distracting. That completely makes sense. That's a way to yes. talk. About and then like in the moment when it comes up, it is, again, OK for you as a supervisor, not every day, not all the time. Um, but to say something like sounds like nobody's going to claim the pen. Go ahead and put it back in the pen cup uh, and, you know, then follow it up with a work question. Like, do you have such and such a report? Um, and again, to say that patiently, to say it kindly, not to say it like no one knows whose pen it is. Please, Mary, stop. Like, don't let it get to that point. Um, but you absolutely can, with discretion, um, interrupt the interruption. Agreed. Yeah. And then beyond that, like if she wants to ask you what the weather's going to be like, you can just say, you know, I don't know. And I'm going to get back to work. Yeah. And I mean, that's that is that's some personal work that the supervisor has to do, too. Like, we have to learn how to tolerate other people. Right. And so those are things you can do. Those are not necessarily going to be cure-alls. She is still going to be chatty. And so it is after you have done all you reasonably can to limit and forestall this behavior that you get to remember our old friend Marcus Aurelius and remind yourself um, this is the, you know, kind of downside of my office. Other offices have something like this, and this is mine. Um and my job every day is to think of Mary as an opportunity to be patient, to be clear, um, to offer helpful feedback to my employees, um, and not to let myself get to a point where I want to, you know, throw someone out a window. Oh, hopefully not. Yeah. I mean, again, I, I, I use a lot of like throwing yourself out of things or throwing people into volcanoes imagery. Um, and I hope everyone just is aware this is very hyperbolic. I don't want anyone to throw anything anytime, anywhere, I guess, unless they're playing a sport. 
right, Max, take us away on the next one. Subject, I love a bidet, except when I don't. Dear Prudence, I recently got my longtime partner a bidet for his house. We live apart. I grew up in a country where they are common, and he has always wanted one. He installed it and loves it, and often thanks me for it. However, he now refuses to buy toilet paper for his house, saying that it's saving him a lot of money to not buy it. I pointed out to him that I tend to pee quite a few times when I am over at his place, and I do not want to wash and dry myself every single time. To counter that, he offers me a clean shop towel to wipe with, which I then put on the floor, hang up and hope nobody mistakes for a hand towel, sneak into his kitchen and leave it there for him to dry his dishes. I did start bringing over my own TP, but when I left it in his bathroom one time, I came back to realize he had used it all up blowing his nose or something. So, he refuses to buy toilet paper, he offers me what I consider to be a kind of gross solution, he doesn't always have clean shop towels, and he'll blithely use my supply unless I hide it. I have created a monster. Please give me one of your devastating scripts so I can impress upon him how terrible this is. People in my home country would be appalled. He is otherwise a delightful person. I have been silently screaming the entire time you read this letter. I love this letter so much. First of all, letter writer, you did not create a monster. I like don't put this on you. Like giving someone a bidet uh, does not mean they suddenly turn into someone who's like, oh, it's cool if you wipe yourself with this old dish towel, right? Like that is him. He has created the monster. He is his own Dr. Frankenstein and Frankenstein's monster. And you are just like the innocent, innocent village girl who gets thrown in a lake. Yeah. Cards on the table. I love bidets. I would love to have one, but I would also keep my bathroom supplied with toilet paper because I am a human being who lives in a society and that is what you do. Yeah. yeah. Like, does this guy never have anybody else come around to his house? What does he do if his landlord comes around? I guess he probably owns the house. I, I just, <laughs> what do you do if your landlord comes around and needs to use the restroom and you just have a bidet? Like, I mean, like... How much was this guy spending on toilet paper that he's like, oh, I'm saving so much money on toilet paper? Like, toilet paper is not... I feel bad because, like, just a couple weeks ago, I did my rant about the Charmin Bears, and now I feel like this is a toilet (laughs) paper-themed podcast. But, like, toilet paper's not that expensive. And especially, like, if you have the bidet for, I don't know, half of the toilet usages, you're using at least half as much... Like, you're, you're still cutting down... Man, you were given a free bidet and you would be spending less in toilet paper. You're still saving money, my man. Like, I tell you what you do with this guy. You drag drag him to Costco. It doesn't even have to be Costco, like any supermarket. Pick up one of those giant packs that has like 24, 48, whatever, how many rolls of toilet paper in it. Uh, you drag him to the checkout line and you make him buy that for you. Yes. And then you keep it at his apartment and if you need to, you put it in the closet and just pull out a, a roll when you're there so that he's not tempted to use it all up because it's sitting out. If need be, you buy him a couple of boxes of Kleenex as well so that he can use that for other Again, things. Again, he is paying for this. You've already bought him the bidet. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> you are not buying him Kleenex so that he can blow his own damn nose. But yeah, it doesn't sound like he's going to do this without without you making him do it. So. Drag him, drag him to Costco, make him buy this stuff. He, it is not an unreasonable expectation. He had better be so delightful. Like, when he speaks, <laughs> I, I need to know that, like, lilies and pearls and rubies are dropping from his lips. Like, he he needs to be the best guy alive for this to be a non-deal breaker. So I'm going to take your word for it. You say he's your longtime partner. Boy, howdy. 
this, yeah, you you get to really impress upon him that it, this is a come to Jesus moment, that this is, uh, you know, like the dish towel thing is right out, right? Like that is, um, I, again, feel free to use strong language when you speak to him about this, um, but just say, I I can't even believe I'm coming up with a script for this because this is again like, yeah, this is this is a moment where it's like, hey, in order for me to come over to your house, here is something I need from you. Never, ever, 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 ever again suggest that I use an old shop towel to wipe myself with and then leave on the floor. That is disgusting. If you had told me that on our first date, there would never have been a second date. Uh, I don't want our relationship uh, to be tainted with thoughts of, like, a piss towel. So take that off the table, my darling love. Um, I, I, I just, I, again, I can't believe I'm coming up with this script. But yes, yeah, um, here's what we're doing. We're going to Costco right now. You're going to buy a supply of toilet paper that you keep in the closet in your bathroom for people who do not need a full bidet experience um, and would like to treat their undercarriages like they live in the 21st century. Um, and you're not going to use it to blow your nose. If you need a lot of Kleenex for that, get it, keep it somewhere else. This is a non-negotiable for me. The next time I come over, if there's not toilet paper in the house, I'm not going to stay. I'm going to go home. Um, this is not a reasonable thing we need to compromise on. This isn't like, oh, two reasonable adults see something differently. This is a basic hygiene issue, and you need to do this for me. I'm a human being, and I need to be treated like one. We are not having an argument about this. Um, and if he's really delightful, he will hear the phrase piss towel uh, said about himself, and he will feel shame. And sometimes shame is good. Sometimes shame is necessary. It reminds us to not have piss towels. Um, and that's good. We, we, we shouldn't have those lying around. Um, you should not hand someone a hand towel, uh, and, and no game plan. Like, oh, here, wipe yourself this with, with this, and then I don't care what you do with it. You gotta have a strategy, my man. Oh, I want to set him up with Jane. <laughs> Honestly, I just want these two monsters to ruin each other's lives and, uh, you know, possibly be quarantined on like an island, um, where they can just be horrible at one another. Thanks for listening to this special Greatest Hits episode of Dear Prudence. Today you heard from Joss Lavery, Roxanne Gay, Mike Kaplan, Alexis Coe, and Max Thornton. Our producer is Audrey Dilling. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash dearprudence to subscribe. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. And you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short, 30 seconds, a minute tops. 